0: So this morning we are going to continue our study in the book of Esther. And uh, it's been really neat for me, I don't know about you, but to actually go through this book and just with the different insights and, and whatnot within these scriptures kind of makes it more alive and uh, really applicable in a way that I hadn't thought of before. And if you are visiting with us here and you don't know where we're at, where we are in Esther chapter 5, and let me just kind of catch you up and uh, real quick on what we've learned about so far. In chapter one, we talked about choices and how King Ahasuerus, we know him as King Xerxes I, um, he was in power for three years and he decided to brag and uh, just to show people how powerful and wealthy he was. And so for six months, he invited. The rulers throughout his 127 provinces to come and to see how much wealth he had, and then at the end of that six-month period, he decided to throw a one-week feast, uh, unlimited, and his guests had a, a great time. And at the end, he invited his queen Vashti to go out and just to parade herself in front of her, uh, in front of his guests, so that they could see how beautiful. She was, and did she go? No. She said, sorry, king, not going to happen. And so through some uh, advice from his counselors, he uh, made her so she was no longer queen. And then sometime later, he was missing her. He kind of regretted his decision. Have you ever made a decision that you later regretted making? Yes. I think we've all been there. And so he decided he needed a new queen. And throughout this lengthy process, uh, he chose Esther as his new queen. And Esther has an interesting background. She's a Jew. She doesn't tell anybody. She hasn't told anybody that that she's a Jew. So Xerxes at this point doesn't know. And uh, uh, Mordecai, her cousin who raised her, also a Jew. And people know that he's a Jew, And then last week, we talked about Haman, and Haman is King Xerxes' right-hand man. He is number two in the Persian Empire, and Xerxes made an edict that everybody should bow down to Haman. Did Haman like that edict? Yes, he did. He thought it was awesome. And uh, he's going, and everybody's bowing down to him, everybody except for one person. And who is that? Mordecai. And it's interesting because Haman doesn't even realize at first that Mordecai isn't even bowing down to him until some people point it out. And they say, hey, Mordecai isn't, isn't bowing to you like like everyone else is. And that doesn't make Haman very happy. And Haman finds out that he's a Jew. Now, Haman, he's called an, Agag- um, an Agagite. And we talked about that before about what that really means. Personally, I think that does mean that he was an an Amalekite. Uh, And did Amalekites and Jews get along? No, they were like sworn enemies. Like, Think of your worst enemy. You may have a lot of them, but think of your worst one. That's who he was from. That's his clan. And uh, uh, the Amalekites and the Jews hated each other. And so Haman had to get even. And so he goes up to King Xerxes, and he does a lot of partial truths here, which is a, a lie. But he says, hey, there is this people group. They are not listening to you. Utter confusion. And if we let this happen, the whole, your whole empire is going to be destroyed. We should get rid of them. Xerxes is like, yeah, sure, sounds good, especially because Haman bribed him and tossed in millions of dollars into the king's treasuries and then that edict came out, and last week, what did we talk about? Uh, Esther found out that, that Mordecai was mourning, and she went out and tried to console him, and then they had this conversation, and it's frustrating for me reading this conversation in chapter four, because they're not talking person to person. They're not talking face to face, they were using a, a guy, a, a eunuch, Hathik, to go back and forth between them relaying messages. And then at the end of chapter 4, there was just a, really, a couple of really neat quotes. And what does Mordecai say? Um, he says, um, and who knows, in, in verse 14, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time As this. Because here Mordecai is asking Esther, go before the king, plead on our behalf. And she's saying, no, I can't do that. It's illegal. Plus, he hasn't talked to me in 30 days. And what happens in the Persian Empire if you approach the king without him sending for you? It's certain death unless he holds out his golden scepter. So at first she's like, "Uh, no, Mordecai, not really. And then he says, well, you know what? Maybe. All this stuff that's happened to you in your past, maybe the fact that your parents had died, that you were an orphan, and that I helped to raise you, I took you, in and all this stuff, maybe all of your past culminated to this one event. Maybe God has called you to this. And we talked about all of us have a past, and all of our past kind of helped us and formed us to be who we are today. We've learned from those experiences. We grew from those experiences. Now, were all of those experiences good? No. Some were bad. Some were tough. Some were difficult. But hopefully, we've learned and grown, and and even as we talked about Wednesday evening, how we are to give thanks in all circumstances. That's hard. It's hard to to be thankful for certain things. And maybe Esther wasn't too thankful for losing her parents. But maybe at this point. It kind of clicked. And maybe the sacrifice of her parents. Brought her to this point. To where she could save the entire. Jewish nation. All of the Jews that were living. Within the Persian Empire. Up until this point. And then she has a quote. And what's the famous quote. And if I. Verse 16. And if I perish. I perish. Perish. And last week, it was just the challenge there was just to step up. Not all of us are called to be Persian queens. Not all of us are called to to save a nation in a mighty way, to risk our lives for the sake of, for a people group or even Christianity. We're all called to do something differently. And when the time comes for us to do what God has called us to do, we should step up and we should do something What he wants us to do. Well, today we're going to be talking about this transition here in the book of of Esther, because right now it looks pretty bad for the Jews. They're not in power. Xerxes is in power, Haman's in power. And we're just talking about the beginning of the end, how things just change and they shift. But before we get into uh, Esther chapter 5 today, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning. and Lord, there is just so much going on here within the book of Esther. We see, Lord, that uh, the Jews, that they are in just mourning right now because their entire population, people group, Lord, is is being threatened. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to relate to them this morning. Lord, that we would would feel what they they felt. Um, Lord, that we would care about others. Lord, that we would um, put others first. Lord, but uh, most and foremost, that we would do what you want us to do. Lord, I just pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears this morning. Lord, and just that you would speak to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the first part of chapter 5, we're going to be talking about Esther's wisdom. Esther's wisdom. And if you've read the book of Esther, is she wise in how she handles this situation? We're going to see how she handles it. So we're going to talk about, start off with her humble approach. Humble approach. The first two verses of Esther chapter 5. It says, on the third day, this is when, remember, she asked all the Jews in Susa to, um, to fast for three days. It says, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. So what did we learn about her approach? For one, she risked her life. We talked a little bit about that last week and how when you go to the king of Persia without being invited, you're risking your life. And here she came in and she just stood there patiently. What do you think was going through her mind at that moment? She's going in, he's on the throne conducting business, just hoping to be seen. Would that be nerve-wracking? You know, I'm thinking um, teachers, you know, when when you're a student and and you want to get called upon, were you one of those that just patiently, quietly raised your hand? Or were you one of those, ooh, ooh, pick me, pick me? I, And how hard is it for a child to restrain themselves? And I could picture Esther coming in and maybe being tempted. Hey, I'm here. I'm here. But she doesn't do that. She just stands there in her royal dress and just waits for the king's attention. Man, how nerve-wracking would that be? But that shows humility, doesn't it? She didn't just walk in there and say, hey, king. Listen up, I got something to tell you. She didn't do that. She was humble, right? She risked her life. And then when he held out the scepter to her, she went in and she touched it. Interesting to know here that she followed Persian protocol. She didn't, she didn't bring out her Jewishness at this point. She she followed Persian protocol, and sometimes we need to follow the protocols and 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 um, just the rules of the land to do what God wants. And we can say, well, you know, that's just that's the U.S. rules. You know, I follow God. Who cares about what the government says? We could do that. Is that right? No. Do you always agree with the laws that government places on us? No. You know, I think some are kind of ridiculous. Um, but you know what? That's not for me to say. It's the laws of the land, and we should do um, our, our best to follow them. but we see that Esther is very humble through all this. Last, last few days, she was probably dressed in sackcloth because she was fasting and, and mourning as well, but she cleaned it up because she knew that wasn't allowed in the king's presence. She got dressed up, and she... Approached them. That's the first part of her wisdom. The second part is she gave a simple invite. Simple invite. Verses 3 and 4 says this And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. It's a simple invite. The king says, What do you want, Esther? He knows that she risked her life. I'll give you whatever you want, up to half my kingdom. Now, that's a phrase that's used throughout scripture several times. Did King Xerxes literally mean, Hey, I'll give you whatever you want, up to half my kingdom? No, it's a figure of, of speech. I mean, hey, I'll give you what you want, just tell me and I'll give it to you. You know, as long as it's legal, as long as I can. I can do it. I'll do it. And that's what it means. Have you ever used an expression like that? You ever use expressions? Yeah, you don't really mean, it's raining cats and dogs. You don't really mean it's literally cats and dogs are falling out of the sky. But it's just a figure of speech. And that's what he says. And her request is really weird. She, I, I want you to come have dinner with me, you and Haman. Haman. And I can just imagine what's going on in Xerxes' mind right now. You risked your life to invite me and Haman for a feast? Is that a pretty big deal? I mean, guys, if your wife risked her life to feed you supper, would you be excited about that? Man, must be some supper. You know, uh, Friday... We had uh, Black Friday, and I know some people get into the whole Black Friday sales, and back in the day, it was just Friday. You really didn't have online shopping. People would go, and they would sleep overnight out in the parking lot, and then the doors would open, and everybody, single file, very orderly, would just walk. No. No. They would push, and just, it was, it would be, anybody experience that? Okay, one person is like, yeah, not really proud of it. It's kind of nuts. You're you're really risking your life to save 20 bucks on something that that the kids are going to enjoy for five minutes and then throw away. Now imagine, you know, women, if you did that because there was a sale on bread at the grocery store. And somebody even mentioned that on on social media. It's like, how come we don't have sales, right? Supermarkets don't have Black Friday sales. Come in, buy food because they know you need it. You're going to buy it anyway. These cells are for stuff you don't need. Sorry to burst your bubble there. But yeah, can you imagine your wife? I stood for 10 hours, and I risked my life. Oh, you should have seen this other lady. Oh, she wanted that, that bread, but I knew you loved it, and I just, I risked my life for you. Man, would that make you feel pretty good if you knew your wife actually risked her life? For that? So anyways, I don't know what was going on through his mind, um, but he accepts and, and we see here too, right? She had a humble approach, a simple request, simple invite. And then she patiently waited to really to, to reveal what her question was. Verses five to eight, follow with me. It says, then um, the king said, bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, The king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is if I have found favor in the sight of the king and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Wow. Wow. Here he goes. He's in a good mood. He's like, hey, I'll give you whatever you want. Just, just tell me. And she, this is wisdom right here. She says, if you're going to say yes, if you're really serious about my request, come back tomorrow and let me feed you again. And then I'll tell you. Now, why was that wise? She was getting her answer. She was securing that she would get a yes from him. Because if she would have asked, then it's possible that the king would have talked to his advisors prior and say, hey, what should I, what should I do? Because he would do that from time to time and ask his, ask his advisors. And would they give him good advice? No, they wouldn't. And so maybe it wouldn't have happened. So by her waiting patiently, secured, the yes, that she needed from him. How hard is it to wait? If somebody says, tell me what you want, I'll give it to you, do you say, well, you know what, ask me again tomorrow? They're in a good mood, or would you ask them now? Personally, I would have a hard time saying, come back later, let me ask you tomorrow. But she did that. Now you see here Esther, the way she did it, the way she approached, would you say she was wise? Yes. But we need to remember that that wisdom did not come from her. Where did that wisdom come from? It came from God. She didn't, when, when Mordecai said, go talk to the king, she didn't say, okay, let me go right now, because it's urgent. She said, no, let's wait for three days. Let's fast. Now, the scriptures don't say, right? Esther doesn't mention God, doesn't mention prayer. But in Jewish culture, what always came along with fasting? Praying. It's not mentioned, but we know that that's what happened. And how many times do we seek the Lord's will in something, and yet we want the answer now, or we want to do it now? And we don't want to wait for a response. We just, we want to rush into it. Anybody here rush into decisions sometimes? I think we're all guilty of that sometimes. Esther's wisdom wasn't based on her self. It was based upon God. She got that from him. How many times when we need to ask for wisdom and, and we need advice, do we really search the scriptures for days? Or do we just say, you know, ask a couple people and then pull the trigger? That's one of the things we need to learn from here with Esther is that she just didn't do her own thing. She did the right thing, but because she asked for God's help. And that is something that I think every one of us can learn and should learn, is that what she did here, her wisdom, was a direct result of fasting and praying. Not just herself, but she called upon the whole Jewish community in Susa to fast and pray for her. Do you wanna make wise decisions? Do you wanna have wisdom? It takes work. It takes effort. It doesn't just happen automatically. So let's compare Esther's wisdom with Haman's foolishness. Because we are going to see a complete opposite in the life of Haman. Haman does things totally different than what Esther did. And his foolishness starts off, instead of him being humble, starts off with a cocky attitude. Anybody here cocky from time to time? Yeah. Yeah. If we were honest, I think we all can be cocky from time to time. But let's read about his cocky attitude. Let's go, uh, starting with verse 9, we'll go all the way down to 13. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. Man, he's happy, isn't he? But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther let no one but me come to the king, come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also... I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew. Wow, that's really nice, isn't it? Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Wow, his cocky attitude. He was second in power in all of Persia and he was upset because one man, a Jew, wouldn't stand up in his presence, didn't tremble in his presence, didn't acknowledge how great he was, or at least how great he thought he was. He had an awesome day. Can you imagine being invited? I mean, think of the most important person that you can think of, and you are the only one invited to this dinner with him. That'd be pretty special. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't that make you feel kind of good? Yeah. But he saw Mordecai, and did he love Mordecai? No, he hated him. So much so that because Mordecai did not stand up, did not tremble in his presence, it didn't matter how good his day was. It was now the worst day ever. You have kids that ever say that? I was talking to somebody this past week. Oh, they're having a good day. Oh, it is the best day ever and then something bad happens, and then they're crying, this is the worst day ever. Same day, mind you. Anybody ever experienced that as as a parent or maybe as a child? Okay, so I'm not alone. Okay, that happens. Here, Haman, right, he's leaving the party. Man, this is the best day ever. And then Mordecai comes along. Is it still the best day ever? No, it's the worst day ever. But I do have to hand it to Haman. He did show self-control, which is impressive, right? Uh, verse 10, nevertheless, Haman restrained himself. Knowing Haman, how hard would it be for him to restrain himself at this point? Extremely difficult, extremely difficult. So we got to give him credit. He did, he did something good. But what does he do? He gets, he, he, he's upset. Right, He thinks he deserves to be worshiped, and then he surrounds himself with yes people. He's upset, so he invites his friends and his wife over to really to kind of have a, a pity party. And you do that when you're upset, when you're angry. Do you want people to, who will tell you that, hey, man, relax. It's just one guy. Or do you want somebody who kind of feeds into that? Yeah, he wanted people to feed him. And then he bragged about himself. He bragged about his wealth. He he bragged about the number of, of sons that he had. He bragged about his promotions, his job. Man, I am an important person. King Xerxes, you know, I started out at the bottom ladder, and I worked my way to the top. In fact, I'm so awesome that when the king threw this feast, I was the only one she invited. Besides the king, she's going to do it again tomorrow. I'm somebody important. Mordecai is wrong for not worshiping me. And that was Haman's first mistake. Well, maybe not first mistake, but one of his major mistakes in in the beginning of the end was him just being cocky. Is it easy to be cocky? Is it easy for you to, to look at yourself and be like, man, I'm pretty good at this. I'm I'm pretty awesome. Nobody could do what I do. Yeah, it's easy. So he brags about himself. He has this cocky attitude. And then he's told, he's given this difficult suggestion, which, which is difficult. Let's read the first part of verse 14. Then his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, let a gallows 50 cubits high be made. And in the morning... Tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully um, with the king to the feast. All right, it's a difficult suggestion. Why? Well, to build a gallows 50 cubits high. Do you know how high that is? 75 feet. 75 feet. Is that overkill? I mean, how tall is 75 feet? It's tall. It is very Tall, and so here he's, he's he's given this idea. So that's difficult to do seventy-five feet. And you know these gallows here hung. It's not like a noose. What they would do is they would have like a, a spear and they would pierce a body and raise it up for people to see. And so here the idea is Haman, he's your enemy. Make an example out of him so that nobody else questions how awesome you are. Build a gallows, right? 75 feet in the air. Overnight, get it done. That's a difficult suggestion. What else was this suggestion? You go into King Xerxes and you tell him what to do. That's that's what they say, right? Right? Then go joyfully, um, I'm sorry, back up a little bit, right? And in the morning, tell the king have mordecai hanged upon it don't say hey king is it okay if i hang mordecai he's kind of a bad guy no you just go in there and you tell him tell the king what to do is that opposite from what esther did complete opposite complete opposite now this is a bad idea this is a horrible idea it's a very difficult and then did he did he wait around Did he spend some time, you know what, let me think about this. No, he eagerly rushed into the situation. This idea pleased Haman and he had the gallows made. He rushed it. Let's do it. Sounds good. Let's get it over with. Have you ever made a rash decision? Your rash decision that you're thinking of. I'm assuming it's a bad rash decision. It's one that you wish you could take a step back. Maybe you wish you could you could do it over. But we see here that this is really the beginning of the of the downfall of Haman. If Haman didn't have that hatred, if he wasn't cocky, if if he was humble, if he waited to make decisions, if he wasn't rash, his life would have turned out differently, wouldn't it? Completely different. And so we're here we have in this chapter two different people with two different agendas. Esther wants to save her people, and she's seeking advice from God. You have Haman who wants to destroy people and he's seeking his vi he's seeking advice from his wife and his friends. Does that mean that us men we should never ask our wives for advice? I don't hear any no's out there. It should be a no. It's okay to ask your wife for advice. Actually, I, I kind of encourage it. Uh, because a lot of times they they have good advice. If nothing else, they have a different perspective than you. And uh a lot of times it's a good, it's a good perspective. But yeah, we have here just, just poor advice being taken. We have, we have here that, uh, just the difference between God's wisdom and man's wisdom. So many times we are quick to seek man's wisdom when making a decision. And we don't seek God's. Wisdom. There are struggles that we have in our life. There are are questions, there are situations that we need clarity from. We don't know what to do. What should we do when we're in a situation and we need advice? What should we do? Pray. Maybe read the Bible. Do you think the Bible has any idea, uh, any clue on what we should do? Yeah, I think so. So many times we're in a situation and we say we don't know the answer because we're not looking for it in the scriptures. Or we read it in the scriptures and we don't like what it has to say. So we say, well, you know, it can't mean that. Yeah, it says love your enemies, but God, that you wrote that before, you know, Jed came along. You don't know Jed the way that I know them, I can't love them. So let me look where, else. oh, you know what? This verse here, it says, yeah, have wrath upon your enemies, kill them all. Yeah, okay, that sounds good. And we can use scripture inappropriately because there are there are some clear passages of scripture that tell us what we should do. And yet we kind of set those aside and we take these these ones that are maybe not as clear and change it, change the meaning of these words change the meaning of the passage we will take a verse out of context so that it suits our purposes if you're struggling with a decision don't make a quick one spend time praying spend time in god's word and don't go at it alone if you're struggling with the decision is it okay to ask fellow believers to pray with you and for you absolutely absolutely It is. And when you have a group of people who are earnestly seeking the Lord's will, is he going to show you what that is? Yeah, he will. You may not like the answer because the answer may be, hey, go before this king who might kill you if he's having a bad day. Who would love to be in Esther's position? when she went to King King Xerxes that day. I'm glad I'm not Esther. (laughs) You know, I'll pray for her, I'll fast for her, but man, am I glad I'm not her. Now, after I see how everything works out, man, that would be neat, absolutely, sign me up. Did she know how it was gonna turn out? No. But she knew that she could trust God. And we need to remember that. She didn't just do it on her own. She sought the Lord's will. Let that be an example for each and every one of us as we go throughout our lives that we seek the Lord's will. And if we don't spend time in God's word, can we expect Him to speak to us? If we don't spend time praying to Him, asking His advice, can we expect to come up with with wise answers and be wise? Do you want to be known as a fool? Or as a wise person. Hopefully you want to be known for being wise. Being full of wisdom. Well you can. But it takes work. It takes effort. It takes setting time aside. With God. Each and every day. It doesn't just happen automatically. But the payoff. Is the payoff good? Is the payoff worth it? Yeah we're going to see. Not. Not today. If you want, you can read ahead to see what happens. But we're going to see the payoff on just the difference from getting wisdom from God versus man's wisdom by taking the extra time, the extra energy, the extra effort in order to make sure that they were following God. So that's my challenge for you this week. Don't rush into a decision. If there is a big decision that you need to make, pray. And don't pray in a way, God, give me what I want. God, give me what you want. Pray, help my desires to be your desires. Because when we want what God wants, will he give us what we want? Yes, but it has to be what he wants, what he desires. Because that will be what's best for us. And believe it or not, does God know what's best for us more than what we do? Yeah. Is that hard to admit from time to time? Yeah. Let's pray.